Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with David Kaufman. Welcome, David. Hi, Lisa. Nice to be here today. Great to have you. And, David, I usually provide a brief bio uh, at the start of my podcast, but if you'll permit me, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about how you came to photography, because it's an interesting story, and I want you to do justice to it. Well, I grew up in the city of Montreal, uh, which is a, a great Jewish community, as you may know. And in really in the late 1970s, uh, I was making my first documentary film about Abraham Moses Klein, who's a very prominent and well-known Jewish poet who wrote in English in, in Canada. And uh, I was exploring his neighborhood partly through photography, and I became tremendously enamored of architectural uh, imagery. And uh, at that point, really, I, I began to hone in on architecture as a lifelong photographic interest. I had been involved with photography from my teenage years, but in, in the late 70s and early 80s, I really found a direction, which was the architectural image. And uh, I, I was particularly enamored with old, not old Montreal, but the older parts of Montreal, and I always had in mind uh, a famous saying by a photographer, uh, a famous photographer of Paris, Eugène Auger, who said, or is reputed to have said, that he wanted to photograph the Paris that was old when he was young. And that's how I felt about Montreal. I wanted to photograph the Montreal that was old when I was young. <laughs> And your work, I have to say, is really stunning, and I think it's safe to say it's important work. Um, And it it feels as though there's a duality to it. It, You've got the eye of a photographer and that of someone who's really documenting Jewish heritage. Can you speak a little bit about that? Do you want me to tell you how I started that? Oh, sure. And and what you bring to that. Um, How do you make that marriage happen? Well, I I, uh, grew up in a moderately orthodox home with immigrant parents who were sort of observant in a traditional way. And uh, I worked in the film industry for many years. I worked for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I had a moderately good Jewish education, uh, 12 years at a Hebrew day school and high school. And as I spent those years working for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, I always wanted to find a way to express my Jewish identity in my work. And, of course, working for a public broadcaster, that's not always possible. It's usually not possible at all, actually. But in uh, 1992, I got a chance uh, on a program I was working on, The Fifth Estate, which is an investigative program, to do a show about hidden Jewish child survivors in Poland. And I went to Poland in in, uh, 1992, and during that trip... uh, we went to uh, Kazimierz Dolny, which is a town not far from Warsaw, where Jews used to vacation. And we went there because there was a controversy about a Jewish graveyard. There was a high school in the place named after Janusz Korczak, the famous psychologist, child psychologist, who died in Auschwitz with the orphans of, War- of the Warsaw Ghetto. And in a school named after him, they were putting in a hot water pipe installation And when doing that in a football field, they discovered a Jewish graveyard. And there was a controversy over what to do with the remains of the people buried there. And we went there to cover that as part of our story. And I saw in the corner of a field 
200 um, Jewish monuments stacked up in a row. And it was the first time I had seen Polish-Jewish gravestones. And the calligraphy was beautiful, and the artwork was beautiful, and I was just stunned by what I was looking at. And I had this image in my mind for years and years and years. And eventually, after I left the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, I returned to Warsaw in 2002 to make a film about the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And I saw the Warsaw Jewish Cemetery for the first time, and I was completely knocked out by that. And then in 2007, I went back to Poland again to make a film called Song of the Lodge Ghetto. It's a, song of, it's a documentary film about the history of the ghetto that incorporates the music of Brave Old World, who had a repertoire of songs from the Lodge Ghetto. And when I was there, I saw the Lodge Jewish Cemetery, and I was knocked out by the quality of the stones in that cemetery. So in, in September 2007, I returned to Poland, I went to Lodz, and I spent several weeks beginning my photography project photographing Jewish historic sites in Poland, cemeteries, uh, Jewish neighborhoods, synagogues, etc. And I've continued that project from 2007 to the present day. In, in a recent article that appeared in Tablet Magazine, you say, I'm interested in vernacular architecture, the ordinary buildings, brick factories, houses, storefronts that characterize the mid-20th century urban landscape. And in addition to that, there is Jewish subject in the frame, correct? In many right. of these, yeah. And, and um, you know, again, how do you, how do you bring all of that together? It's such an interesting mix, and it's, again, it's really powerful when you're looking at the pictures. Well, my, my main uh, lens through which I focus on photogra- photography is the architectural image and the urban landscape. So it wasn't a very uh, large leap to move into uh, heritage landscapes and in, in Europe, uh, heritage landscapes that incorporate Jewish material culture. So my love for the mid-20th century urban landscape in, the, in, in uh, North America uh, in a way translates to my love for uh, a heritage uh, of material culture that still exists but speaks of a lost Jewish civilization. The reason I care about architecture uh, of the mid-20th century is because I grew up in that period, and I think that was the period in which cities in North America and to a lesser degree in Europe uh, were built around communities. So you could live in uh, the, the North America of the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, really up into the 1980s, and you could work and play and worship and get your car repaired, all within the neighborhood. And by the late 70s, early 80s, we began to see the homogenization of the urban landscape in North America, and those landscapes began to disappear. So I've made it my business, really, to photograph, to photograph uh, heritage urban architecture, concentrating on those sorts of buildings that you just referenced in the quote you, you, you gave, uh, mostly from the early and mid-20th century. And as I said, when I went to Europe, uh, it was because I wanted to find a way to express my Jewish identity in photography. And photography, like many art forms, is, is neutral ethnically. There isn't anything about photography that's inherently Jewish except the subject matter. So I began to look for subject matter 
in which I could express my Jewish identity. And when I saw these cemeteries in Europe, I was completely knocked out. I have to say another inspiration was a book I picked up in uh, 1992, and that was a book by the very famous uh, Jewish activist and artist in Warsaw, Monika Krajewska, who did the first important book uh, of photographs of Polish Jewish cemeteries. Uh, and that book was completely inspiring, and I've tried to follow in her footsteps. You know, I noticed that you bring, and you're discussing this, really these two points of view to your work and to the framing and the lens, as you say, that you look through. Was there a pivotal moment or situation where these two elements, if I may use that word, came together for you and then allowed you just, it, it sort of flowed from there? Well, I, I think I've said it. I mean, it was really discovering Jewish cemeteries, seeing them in person in Poland, and the work that Monica Krajewska did was mm -hmm. very inspiring. And uh, there, I also found that there aren't too many people in the world who really are embracing this subject matter at a high artistic level. So I saw an opportunity for a photographic subject uh, that I could run with. I had the skills, because of my architecture work, to really do this on a, I think, a high photographic level. And it, it's inspired me uh, to keep doing this work now for more than 10 years. Um, it's always hard in an audio interview talking about something visual, but allow me, if you will. Um, in your photograph, it's derelict tenement buildings on, I hope I get the pronunciation correct, Wallachau Street, um, the remains of the Warsaw Ghetto. Um, so in this photograph, I stopped when I was looking at it because you've got this building that sits heroically in the background and in the middle and foreground, you know, sort of somewhat dwarfed by the presence of this building is a very ordinary, everyday, not too attractive, corrugated metal fence with graffiti. And then in front of that are these recycling bins, obviously, all of this is intentional in the way you put this together. And when I viewed the photograph, I felt that the way that you included the surrounding everyday objects brings a really powerful element to the photograph. Um, and again, I'd, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. There's a lot of photography uh, about the Holocaust that people make uh, today, contemporary photography, or in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And what I don't like is the choice of many photographers to go and photograph sites and then, in a sense, manipulate the image in the darkroom to create feelings of historical gloom. In other words, often they're photographing rather prosaic, banal subject matter, and there's a manipulation of the image to give it importance that I find is actually not in the image. So when I photograph Holocaust sites in Poland and a little bit in Ukraine, and I've been also in the Baltic states, which is not my primary aim, by the way. I'm primarily interested in photographing remnants of Jewish life. Mm -hmm. But it's inevitable that I will photograph some Holocaust sites as well because of who I am and where I'm going. I don't want to portray them falsely. So this building I first encountered, the building you mentioned on Valakov Street, is the last one of two last major remnants of the Warsaw Jewish ghetto that still stand in Warsaw today. One is an apartment block uh, not far from the uh, current Jewish synagogue, and one is this other 
a, a group of two of a building that stands not far away. And when I first saw it, I saw it in 1992. There were no fences, and it was simply a derelict building in the middle of Warsaw with nothing around it and no no signage, no fences. And I was astonished because this is a building that was derelict at the time. Squatters lived in it, and you could still see the bullet holes from fighting that occurred in the Warsaw Ghetto. So this, to me, is one of the strongest, most important remnants of the Warsaw Ghetto. In a a way, more living and more uh, impressive than the monument to the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, which is near the Museum Polin today, in the heart of the ghetto. And then when I came back to it later, I photographed it several times, and I came back to it later just a few years ago, and the fence was up, and I want to show what this is. It's a derelict building, which the city is endeavoring to protect, and it's run down, and there are recycling bins in front of it, and this is what it is. By the same token, when I go, I've been to Auschwitz and Birkenau, I've made a few photographs there. It's very difficult. It's very difficult emotionally. But I always say that one should not forget that Auschwitz today is a three-star site in the Michelin Guide. And we have to remember that these places not only are historical, uh, historic monuments, but they also are tourist sites today. And so I'm trying to show a, a dual focus, both on the historic importance of these sites, but I'm also trying to show what they've become and where they sort of fall in our contemporary Jewish experience. I don't want to glorify them or make something of them they are not. They are physical remnants. Behind them there is a great deal of history, but they are physical remnants. Well, they are, they leave you thinking about a lot. Well, at least for me it did. Um, and that one particularly really resonated. Also, your synagogues in Montreal are just, they're just great. <laughs> I don't know you. how to describe them any other way. They, they, yeah, they bring they bring me into the frame so beautifully. Um, just a quick technical question. So yes. I'm intrigued. You use an old-fashioned bellow camera. I use an architectural camera, which is a camera, a view camera, which has a bellows, and that's one of several cameras you can use, so that when you point up at a building. Uh, you can manipulate the camera so that the building doesn't look like it's following, fall, falling over backwards. So the camera I use enables me to photograph buildings, looking up at the building and maintaining my vertical lines without manipulating it later in the computer. Although I'm not opposed to computer manipulation, I'm saying this is the most effective way for photographing architecture. And these type of cameras have been used since the beginning of photography, the camera I'm using today is not antiquated, actually. It's a camera that was manufactured 10 years ago. It's a very modern camera, but it's based on the same historic design of architectural cameras. And what are you working on now? Oh, I'm just uh, consolidating, actually. I mean, I've done a lot, a lot of photography in Toronto, and I'm thinking of putting together an um, exhibition called Toronto Till Now, which will encompass... Uh, selections from 30 years of photography in the city where I live. Uh, Part of that I'm going to do uh, this December and January. I'm having a very small exhibition at a local downtown synagogue, and I'm going to uh, show maybe a dozen photographs of the area in which the synagogue is located, which is very well known in Toronto, the Kensington Market Spadina Avenue area which historically in the teens, 20s, and 30s up to the 50s was an important Jewish area. 
So I've done a lot of work around that area, and I'm going to do a little bit of work there. I hope very much to get back to western Ukraine, and I hope also to Romania and Moldova uh, next year. But this year I took a break because I had a lot of work to catch up, catch up on. I was curious to know if there were places that you have on your long list, and I guess there are. Well, I, I, I always do research before my trip, so I can't actually name places, mm-hmm. but I would say I would very much like to go to northern Romania, which has several dozen beautiful painted wooden synagogues. They have been photographed by one or two people before, but I would like to try my hand at them. And there are areas of Moldova uh, which have not been explored very much. There are Jewish cemeteries and Jewish historic sites there as well. And, of course, there's much, much more to do in Ukraine. On my trip in 2016, my wife and I only went to western Ukraine, to Lviv and then to Chernivtsi, uh, which is uh, the old, which was known, of course, as Chernivtsi. And uh, that was only a small corner of Ukraine, and there are many more possibilities for photography there. Great. Well, for those who are listening, um, could you share your website so that they can learn more about and see examples of your work? Yes, sure. It's www.davidkaufmanphotography.com, all one word, Kaufman spelled K-A-U-F for Frank, M-A-N. Wonderful. Well, David, thank you so much for your work and for taking the time to join me today. Thanks for having me today. I really enjoyed it. And I hope we see you sometime soon at the Yiddish Book Center. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Diana West, membership assistant. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to episode number 100, Lisa Newman's conversation with Marissa Scheinfeld, author and photographer about her book, Echoes from the Borscht Contemporary Photographs. Until next time, be well, be healthy. Zagazint. Zagazint.